Welcome to the to the January seventh, one p.m. meeting of OA Rise speaker meeting. My name is Janice. I'm a compulsive eater, and your host for this meeting. And OA Rise stands for Recovery Inspires Shared Experience, and we're glad that you. Whoops. Just unmuted myself. You muted um, you're muted again. You're muted again. Okay, thank you. There we go. Will all who wish please join me in the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Um, as we extend the heart and hand of the OA Fellowship to those who still suffer, let us be mindful of OA's unity with diversity policy, which respects our differences yet unites us in the solution to our common problem. Whatever problem you may have with food, you are welcome at this meeting. Can I please have Marie Ann read the preamble? on here let's see um here we go marianne um patience patience yes sorry you guys just uh um New things to do. There we go. Hi, I'm Rianne Compulsive Overeater. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organisation, political movement, ideology or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviours and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Thanks, Marie-Anne. And could I please have Finn read the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous? You're muted. Oops. Okay, let's see. Uh, let's... Oh, and I'll God. ask people to unmute, and that way we won't do, do any double unmuting. Over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our, our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. 
Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to people wherever possible except when to do so injure them or others. 10, continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admit it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for our for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this, these messages to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Thanks, Finn. And could I please have Chanel read the traditions? I gotta find you, Chanel, there you go. Hi, can you hear me okay? Great. Hi, I'm Chanel T, Grateful Compulsive Eater. Here are the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, every group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive eater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communications. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Pass. Thanks, Chanel. So the OA Seventh Tradition, according to our Seventh Tradition, we are self-supporting through our own contributions. Contributions can be made by PayPal to our email address, info at oarise.org, or you can visit our website at oarise.org and click the Contribute Now button on the home screen. A suggested donation of $3 allows us to cover the cost of the Zoom subscription, and it also helps us to maintain the OA Rise website where we upload and store the recordings for you and for all OA members. 
Your seventh tradition contributions are needed to keep the OA Rise speaker going. Thank you so much for your support. And I know that we've had over 8,000, I believe, uh, people that have listened to the recordings. Um, so this is a two and a half hour meeting. At this time, all attendees are muted. This meeting is being recorded so that an audio-only recording can be posted on the oarise.org website. Please note that by sharing or asking a question, you consent to be re being recorded and having the recording posted on the OA Rise website. If you have a question for the speakers but do not want your voice to be heard on the recording, please send your question to a co-host and they will read your question for you. And today our co-hosts are me, Cassie, Audrey, and Mickey. The chat feature is currently turned off except to communicate with myself or the co-hosts. Additionally, only hosts will have the ability to change attendees' names. If you would like your name changed or need any assistance during the meeting, please feel free to contact us. Uh, to protect OA Rise from individuals outside of our program who've been disrupting meetings at this time, at this time, anyone joining the meeting or anyone who does not currently have their camera on will be restricted from turning their video on until there is an appropriate break in the meeting. Should you want to have your video on, please do so now. And uh, Cassie did, um, yeah, um, I'm going to change it to start video for about five minutes and then we'll turn it back. <clears throat> we appreciate your understanding as we do our best to make this a safe meeting. Uh, we will take a five-minute break approximately halfway through the meeting. Um, I believe our first speaker is Bianca for about 5-0-50 minutes and a 15-minute time for questions. Then we'll have a break and our second speaker will be Chelsea for about the same length of time. And finally, just a reminder that the opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. It is now my great pleasure to introduce to you our speakers for today. I'll start with Bianca. Hello, and thank you for the welcome. Um, I'm Bianca, and I'm a compulsive overeater, and I hope everyone can hear me loud and clearly. Just putting my time on and I would like to start my share with the serenity prayer that I will say in my first language, German. Gott, gib mir die Gelassenheit, die Dinge zu akzeptieren, die ich nicht ändern kann. Den Mut, die Dinge zu ändern, die ich ändern kann und die Weisheit, den Unterschied zu erkennen. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Today's topic, I think, is newer voices. Siloing our sense of reality. 
I think today's topic is called um, No Voices on the Path of Recovery. And I think I am one of these new voices because I'm pretty new to OA. I just started coming about 15 months ago. And here comes my first confession. I'm not abstinence. I'm in relapse right now. And you might think, what are you doing here when you're in relapse? What kind of hope, experience, and strength can you share? And I think this is exactly where my story starts with hope. Even that I'm in relapse, I'm still here showing up. Even that I ate some red foods yesterday, I'm still showing up today. And about a week ago, um, I had actually texted the lady who asked me to share here today if I still qualify, even if I'm in the foods. And she said, we have no abstinence requirement. And if I'm honest, it took me almost a week to even write that text message because I was afraid to be judged and I was afraid to be told you can no longer share. Not that I really want, <laughs> you know, I'm pretty excited about this, but um, I was afraid that I would be told no. But I come here today because I do have a voice. I have a voice in OA, I have a voice as a compulsive overeater, and I have a voice of hope. So to start my share, I would like to share some pictures first. So I have this away because I think this gives me the most anxiety about my share here. So if you bear with me, I'll share some pictures. Can you see this? I assume yes, okay. Um, this is me as a child. Um, I think if I think about my childhood, this would be the picture of my childhood. I was always scared because the world was not nice to me and I was always alone. Or let's put it this way, I felt alone. And when I'm looking back at this picture, I think this is exactly how, how I still feel about my childhood. Uh, the next picture is me with my oldest daughter. And as you can see, pretty big. I'm having troubles um, bending down. I could not have bend down or go on my knees to close her shoes. We had to sit down. And I felt pretty immobile and huge. Well, I was huge. And this is me before I came to OA about, well, about 18 months ago, but I came to a 15 months ago. So I think it's a, it's a good picture to show who I was. But before OA, this is me being abstinent for a year and I lost 88 pounds uh, during that time in that year. And this was actually a picture I took at my last chair when I could say, when I could share my day count of, I don't know, 360 days or something and it felt pretty good and I'm here today with this face and I have to say I'm in the food again so what happened um I don't I don't really know how I came I'm pretty surprised myself that I relapsed because I felt like a poster child in OA I went abstinent 
on day four, sort of. And I stayed absent for over a year. I did the steps twice with two different sponsors, one the Big Book way, one the OA way. Um, I lost a lot of weight and I felt great. And along came Christmas. And I don't know, it was not the German chocolate. It was not, it was not the other deliciousness that I served to people on my table. I think it was the fear that I carry in my heart since 48 years. I don't even know what I'm afraid of. Like I said, in the, with the first picture, I was afraid of everything. So I would like to, to share a little bit about my childhood um, because I think this is where everything started. My mom and my dad, um, they met at a, in a psych ward. My mom was 17 and my dad was 29. Um, I think based on these numbers, it shows already that I was born out of craziness. And um, they got married right away. And my mom needed special permission because she was underaged. And about two years into their unhappy marriage, I was born. My dad was an alcoholic. My mom was an alcoholic. My grandfather was an alcoholic. My uncles are alcoholics. And my grandma was a compulsive overeater. And I think um, I'm too. I mean, I can see it. I can't. I can't hide it. I always thought I could hide it, but I can't anymore. Um, so when I was little, my entire, I, I think, and I heard, I say this way, when I heard step one that my life is unmanageable, I thought, yeah, but it did not start with the food. My life was already unmanageable without the food, just based on my parents and the circumstances. Um, my parents were both still in their addictions when I was a baby. And when I was six months old, they went on a party spree over the weekend and never came back. They forgot that they left me at home. So after three days of crying, one of the neighbors called the police and they came and rescued me and they found me in my little baby crib was bleeding lips, I guess, being totally dehydrated, um, alone, and um, starving. I always thought this is where my hunger for food and nourishment started when I was six months old. But today I know, working the steps in the program, I know that it started from birth on. So I was taken away from my parents they lost their parental rights and I was placed into the care of my grandparents, which was not good because um, my grandfather was a very abusive man and it was a world of adults. It was a world of inappropriateness. It was a world of abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, psychological abuse and I felt pretty much alone in there. But my grandma was a very loving and kind, but also deeply hurt person. She showed me how to deal with life. 
she showed me how she dealt with life and life and that was food so we started eating in secret when she had chocolates or sweets or candies she did this she she waved her little finger and went with me into the laundry room or into her bedroom and there in secret we shared the treats because we, she could not have the treats openly because my grandfather would eat it and take it away. So her message or her language of love and protection was giving me medicine, how to deal with my life. And like all the other people and all their shares say, food is not my problem. I can say the same thing. Food is not my problem. Food is the medicine. Food is how I cope how I cope with wounds in my heart, wounds in my soul, how I deal with emotions and stress, how I deal with life itself. So when I started eating, and it's mostly sweets that I'm craving, um, I was in a better place. There was no grandpa. There were no school stress. There was nothing. It was just me and the food. It could be raw, raw sugar and oatmeal mixed together in little children's dishes that I was hiding underneath. It needed to be sweet and needed to be lots from little, from little age on. So when I was teenage years, that's when people could see that I have a problem with food because I was getting bigger. I could hide it for a lot of years because I was actually, I did not mention this, but I was actually undernourished as a child from birth on and then that starving from my parents, the neglect. So our little German doctor in a little German village actually said to my grandma one day, this child will die on you before she goes to kindergarten. That's how undernourished I was. So I could hide. I could hide getting bigger for a very long time until I was maybe 15, 16. And then I, it was shown on pictures and people started talking about it. And then I also could not hide it anymore. So I went to a doctor one day who, it was, uh, I had to go to the doctor anyways. And he asked me about my weight and I thought, maybe I should say the truth. And I shared with him that every day I go to, on the bus to work, drive to school and later to work, I have to buy these three candy bars and I have to eat it in a certain way or my whole day would be crazy. He listened to it and he asked me if I can repeat it. And I said, oh, I can repeat it because it's the truth. I have to eat these three candy bars in a certain way before I come to a certain bus stop or my day would be broken. My day would be kaput, gone. And he said, you need to see a psychologist. That's what they call it in Germany, psychologist for eating disorder. And I went there, but I was at, I was not able to really share my story there because my grandma was still alive. There were still people alive that were involved in my abusive childhood and I would have never 
branded someone out. So I kept it all in, but I went to counseling, but I, I talked about everyday things, not the real issues. When my grandma died in 96, I said again at a doctor's office, and I had to say again, I'm eating and I can't stop. This time the doctor sent me for an, into an eating disorder hospital for stationary treatment. And I stayed there for seven months. But at that time, there was no word for overeating. We had the anorexic people and we had the bulimic people. And then there were the fat people, but there was no name for them. But I was one of the two fat people in the eating disorder clinic. So there was not really much help there either. I did open up about my childhood a little bit, but even then I was ashamed and I didn't want to speak about this. When I got out of the clinic after seven months, I felt so alone. My grandma was dead. My grandfather at the time died. My parents were not existing in my life. And I started trying to diet because I was getting so big now that I could not fit into normal clothing. It was the happiest day in my life when I came to North America and I saw there was clothing in XXXL or triple X because in Germany, that's not common. I had to drive a long way to find clothes or change in outer clothing or it was old woman's clothing. Anyways, I tried to diet and it did not work well because I could never stay on a diet longer than two days, three days, and then I was back in my foods. But then I met my husband and life changed for the good. He's an awesome guy, happiest person in my life. He's my personal cheerleader, always telling me I'm a good person, always telling me life is good, even if I don't believe him sometimes. But um, life turned around and I became a mom of four children, not at once. <laughs> different ages, but um, becoming a mom was, it brought up a lot of realizations about my childhood because until then I did not realize how deeply neglected I was as a child. I did not know, I could not comprehend what it really meant to leave a child in a bed and walk away and not come back. I knew it happened to me and intellectually I was maybe able to understand, but after I was holding my own baby in my hand and realized how deep down the drain my parents must have been to leave that little bundle of joy back, I think it's, it threw me into a new crisis realizing how deep my wounds had been. And I, eat, I did not even know it's possible, but I started eating even more. But now I had a family and I had to hide it. Until then I lived by myself and I could eat all day and lay in bed all day, but now I had to function. And I really needed food as the medicine for this. I had to get up every morning. I could not be depressed. I had to deal with little kids I had to deal with real life then we immigrated into North America had to learn a new language all these things it was always 100% stress 
And the only way to do this, to compensate and to, to adjust it is food. And so I was hiding, I was hiding food in every room of our home, every home we moved. And it was even was putting more, more stress onto my life because the rubbers needed to be hided. The money I spend on food, I had to, I had to explain things, stories that today I know were lies, but I took food for my children. There were Christmas care packages sent to my children from Germany, and I think not even half made it to my children. The other half I was storing somewhere and eating them, and then again hiding wrappers and all these things. And then I, I started getting physical, um, how should I say? My body could no longer take all this food. And I started having, <laughs> I know it will be recorded, but it's part of my story. I started to get diarrhea and I had diarrhea for 17 years, for 17 years. And I went to all sorts of medical tests and they did not find any reason for that. Today, I know it's my, it was my body compensating because otherwise I would be a 700 pound lady and not a 280. But at that time, I did not know. I believed in the mystery that I must have an illness. That's the reason why I could not leave my house anymore because I was in the bathroom for hours a day and eating on the bathroom, if I'm honest. Yeah, eating in the bathroom. In, same way out. Same place in, same place out. So, it was always, I always had a feeling, I think my entire life that I'm hiding. I have to hide where I'm coming from, that I'm hiding who I am as a person, not just my physical body. I have four children and they were all made in the dark. I mean, Hiding my body, hiding where I'm coming from, hiding what I feel, hiding my story. It was always a hiding and always so much work to keep everything in order so it's not collapsing. So we moved from the States to Canada and my husband and I, we had that dream of the Canadian wilderness. And that's what we did. We moved right into the bush. We had no running water, no power, no electricity. We based in the cold creek. Our, our mailbox was 28 kilometers away from us and our next neighbor, six kilometers. So my food addiction or compulsive overeater eating, it came onto a whole new level because now we were only able to go every six weeks to the grocery store. The next Walmart was 480 kilometers away from us. That's about a six hour drive through gravel roads with a ferry ride. I can't even, I don't even know how I managed this. I did not lose any pounds being out in the wild. Um, even that it was hard physical work, chopping firewood, gathering, melting snow, all these things, chasing bears away from our goats. 
building a house with my husband, all these things. I did not lose one pound. No, I gained. I gained. I bought the flour and the sugar in the 10 kilo or 20 kilo bags. And I started baking. Man, I became a master baker. I was baking every day because by then I could not hide. I could not hide candy bars or any of our chips and these things because, first of all, we did not have a capacity to store these things and hide these. And we were going for essentials to the grocery store, not for snack food. So we lived, like I said, we lived in the wild. And even then I managed to keep my compulsive overeating alive. I don't know how I did that. If I look back, we lived out in the woods for about three years and I don't know, I, I can, I, I look at pictures from that time. I see how sick I was in my eyes, in my face, in my body, my big, huge body. But I don't know how I managed it anymore. I don't know. So we did not stay there for long. Well, I said three years. I homeschooled my kids. So I was 24-7. I was in charge for survival because it was really in the wild with bears and wolves and pumas and cougars and what you can imagine. We had livestock. So I was constantly on alert my food addiction, my children, the environment, the surrounding. And I think food, food became a universal medicine maybe. It was my tranquilizer, it was my push-up, um, my pick-me-up medicine, it was my sadness medicine, my happiness medicine. It was just what I needed. So we moved back into town, into civilization, when the kids grew older and they wanted to go to high school. And um, about two and a half years ago, I don't even know how it happened, but I woke up one day and I realized I'm dying. I'm overweight, I'm fat. And I will not apologize for using the word fat because that's what I called myself. And I needed help. It was a realization that I need help. This is beyond my strength. I'm a survivor. I survived so many things, so many situations. I survived so many people. I survived so many injuries. But without help, I will not survive this eating. And so my, I thought my solution would be gastric bypass surgery. Because when, uh, when you look online how to lose a lot of weight, 100 pounds, they all tell you, well, try it with surgery. So I thought, I'll do surgery. And I started to research how to get the surgery here in Canada. And it's quite an ordeal, I found. I joined a weight loss clinic an obesity and diabetes, diabetes clinic. And I started their program to work towards gastric bypass. I have to say, it's good that you, the program they have, they don't just give you surgery. You have to do nutrition classes, cooking classes, psychological evaluations to prove them you know what you're doing. 
stress management, all these things, counseling, because they say we do surgery on your stomach, not on your brain. So you have to change your behavior. And the whole process was almost two years, almost two years until I finally got my check mark and my approval. No, this was four years ago. I'm sorry, I got my timeline wrong. So that's not really matter the timeline, but um, I had everything done that I needed. I bought all the book. I had to attend classes in eight week modules and I was in classes around this surgery for one and a half years. I had to write a food log just like I do now and send in my food logs for six months at a time. And the last hurdle that was to overcome or the last obstacle was I had to have an abdominal ultrasound. So the surgeon could determine how big my liver is because the liver needs to be lifted up when they do surgery on your stomach. So I went to the abdominal ultrasound and I was all excited. I had on Amazon bought all these little food storage containers, tiny ones, because I assumed I will eat tiny, tiny amounts of food and I bought myself little plates and all these cute things. And I was prepared. I thought I was prepared. And so I went to my abdominal ultrasound and there they discovered that I have cancer, kidney cancer. And which made me no longer qualify for gastric bypass. And I thought, I, I think being told that I can't have that magical solution surgery was worse than the cancer. My kids might have been scared that I'm dying, but I was scared I will stay fat forever because I thought the surgery would be my solution to my to my problem. That reality didn't last long. I'm glad today I survived cancer. I'm cancer free. I got my kidney surgery. I only have part of my um, right kidney left, which is okay. I don't need a whole one on that side. Um, but I had to look for a different solution because now the doctor said you have to be cancer free for two years. So then I would have been in that game for already four years. And I thought, I don't have time. And this is welcome to a finally after, let me check, uh, over 20 minutes of sharing, I finally come to the OA part. So I come to OA. I don't even know where on the internet I saw it or where I found it or who brought me here. And it does not really matter. Within the first week, I found a sponsor from the UK who took me through the steps and I became abstinence. And I don't, I, of course, I could give you the answer that everyone tells with God's grace, I'm absent, but that sounds too abstract for me. I still don't know. I can still not complain what changed. Maybe it was the story from my first sponsor who lost also over a hundred pound because hundred pound that was also always my magic number I thought a hundred pound but to be honest hundred pounds losing would not have been enough to be a normal weight but I stuck with the 100 it sounded like a good number and she had lost over 100 pounds so maybe I wanted to impress her I don't know what it was and it does not matter but it gave me abstinence for over a year 
I was working the steps. I was doing all the things that was required. Well, I don't want to say required, but what I thought I had to do. Sending in my food logs, doing outreach with people, going to meetings. I still go to, well, in the first year, I went to at least two meetings a day. Right now, I go to maybe 10 meetings a week, 12 meetings a week. Um, I was doing all the assignments. I wrote her my nightly review and all these things. And somehow, I still have to say today, I'm in relapse. And like I said in the beginning of my share, it came by surprise. I think it came by surprise. One of my friends the other day said, yeah, I think it's because of your back, because I have a back injury. And um, I was bedridden for about 10 weeks in August. But I was doing pretty good during that time, I think, with my food and I stayed abstinence. But after, when I was getting better, I'm currently waiting for back surgery or potentially now two back surgeries. But something happened. And I think it was losing hope. Not in regards to my food, but in regards to life. Because being in OA, it felt like a pink cloud, you know. There were all these people on these little tiles on Zoom, everyone smiling and sharing and friends with each other. Almost like a different planet from my real life. Because my real life at the time in August and September was filled with pain pain and medication and no hope for the surgery to happen quickly enough to give me some relief. Trips to the emergency room. And I did, while I was in that situation, I did not realize that, but it felt hopeless. And maybe this is, this is what pushed me into my relapse. I think it is, I'm not sure. And, and in the end, it doesn't matter today. I maybe even appreciate my relapse because it gave me a sense of reality check. It showed me how far I came in that one year and it showed me what is possible. It showed me, yes, you can do it too. Because in the beginning, when I came to OA and I went to a speaker meeting and I heard that someone was sharing, I'm in OA since 40 years. I did not admire this. It scared me. It scared me thinking that I have to come here every day for 40 years to get my skinny body. I don't know if I want to do that. So it really, it scared, it almost scared me away. Stories of, yeah, when I heard one share, I'm coming here since 19, 72 i was not even born there and you tell me you come to the you come here every day it was scary it, yeah it almost scared me away from away today not anymore i'm coming here every day and i will not stop coming and i think this is where my message today is coming from this is where my hope where i want to share my hope even that i'm in relapse i'm still coming 
they said, keep coming back. And then others say, no, don't say keep coming back. Don't leave. And I think, yes, this is my place. You're my family. You're my people. I can cry here and no one is laughing. I can call myself sad. I can't even say to myself in front of the mirror, but I can share it with you. That's where my hope is. I don't care if I'm in relapse today and I might, and people might think, why is she sharing her experience, strength and hope? Because I'm here. I'm not in the kitchen. I'm not at a grocery store. I'm not hiding in my bedroom and I'm not hiding any wrappers. I'm here and I'm sharing my, myself. I'm sharing myself with you. That I know today that I was able to not eat my red foods for one year. Before OA, I did not even know it's possible. I did not even know it's possible for a week or for two weeks. But today I know I'm actually capable. So there's my hope. This is what I have that is feeding me right now, that is nourishing right now, even that I'm in relapse, is knowing this is just for now. This is just today. I'm just today in relapse. This is not till I die. This is not the end of my world. It's just today. And I did not eat any red foods today. So it might be another day, one today. But even if I have to say tomorrow again, another day, one, another day, one, I'm still here. I'm not dead. I'm not running away. I'm admitting I'm powerless over food and that my life is unmanageable. And I'm asking God to help me in my higher power. And even if he is not helping me today, I still keep asking. I will not stop asking for help. I will not stop sharing who I am because I'm no longer afraid. Remember that picture, that first picture that I shared? I'll share it again because this is, this is how it feels inside of myself. This is how I feel inside. That child, what happened that day is, my uncle who is an alcoholic and a very sadistic person, he's, he was only, he's dead now, but he was only happy when someone else would cry because of him. So he painted my face and he locked me outside. And I was crying for hours to let me in. I was feeling ashamed because neighbors could walk by. I, I felt shame as a child for the people who were around me, for the family I had. So I was outside <clears throat> and I was crying. I called my grandma. She, she would not have been able to help me in these situations because otherwise she would. Well, I was the decoy sort of thing for her own life. But no one was there to help me. And then you would ask, where's the picture coming from? Someone must have taken a picture. And I say, yes. What kind of person is taking a picture, seeing that child in distress? What kind of person will take the joy or the time to grab a camera at that time in 70, 78 or uh, nine, 1980, 
You had to put the film into the camera and get the camera out of a closet. You didn't have your phone on you. So that person took a picture of a child in utterly distress. I can still remember, I'm 48 years old and I can still remember that day when I was scared and alone outside my own home. And these were the kind of people who I was surrounded in my childhood. So today I'm no longer that person. I'm not alone anymore. Because until I came to LA, I thought I'm alone. I thought I'm the only one who eats while driving and, and stopping in a trash can, on a public trash can to hide the wrappers because I couldn't bring them at home. I thought I'm the only one. I thought I'm the only one who wants to start a diet on Monday and has to eat certain 15 specific, in a specific um, sequence, certain foods before I can start a diet or it wouldn't work. All these crazy thoughts in my mind. I said, I'm the only one. I'm, I thought I'm the only one who steals food from their children's plate. I'm a great baker, so I bake great cakes. And for sure, I got the biggest piece every time. And little slices from the other people's slices. I thought I'm the only one, but today I know I'm not alone. You're all here with me. Even when I sit here and say, I'm scared, or I'm fat, or I'm relapsed. I'm not alone. Because I don't know if all of you are abstinence. I don't know who of you is in relapse. I don't know this. So I really had to put my brave girl pants on today when I came, I did not mind what shirt I'm wearing, but I minded what story I will share today. And I thought I go with the truth. Yes, my parents met in a psych ward. I'm not proud of that. And I did not tell anyone. I left our home, my home country. My husband is German too, but we moved to America. We moved to Canada. We were a short time in China always running away. I did not have any childhood friends or classmates on my social media for years because I was afraid that they would recognize me. I was afraid to say, hey, it's me, Bianca. I wanted to hide. If I would have been, there would have been a pill, a magic pill to dissolve myself, I would have taken it many times. And today I'm here and I say, yeah, it's Sunday afternoon in January. I'm in relapse, but I'm still coming back. I will still come to a meeting tomorrow. I will still share my story if I'm allowed. I have been stripped of all my service positions because of my relapse. This was the worst part of my relapse. I was leading a newcomers meeting, which needs 60 days of abstinence no longer there. I can no longer be the newcomer breeder in a meeting I'm part of. But I can still open my mouth and I can share my story. And I can say who I am and I can say where I come from because that's what, what I was so ashamed of always, where I came from. But I'm not my parents. I'm not the people who abused me. 
I'm not the people who are laughing at the fat mom who can't close the shoes. I'm not, I don't know, the. I, I'm not the man who would tell you you're too fat. I don't like you. I'm not these people. I'm just a compulsive overeater here in OA sharing my story. I think I'm cutting it short here. I'm 40, I shared for 41 minutes. Um, I would like to thank everyone who listened. And there are some friends of mine here in this room who showed up for me. And I promise you, I'll show up for you too. Every time you reach out to me, I will be there for you. Thank you for letting me share. And my phone number is right there under my name if anyone would like to connect with me. I love outreach and I like to support other people. And I know it supports me too. But thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Bianca. <clears throat> and this is the time to ask questions um, of Bianca. Um, if you'd like to ask a question or share, please raise your hand. A reminder that this meeting is being auditorily recorded. Again, if you have a question for the speaker but do not want your voice to be heard on the recording, please send your question to a co-host through the chat and we will read your question for you. By sharing or asking a question, you consent to being recorded and having the recording posted on the OA RISE website. Um, go ahead, Dylan, or Diane. Diane, Bianca, um, I come to these meetings because I've heard more truth than I've ever heard at these meetings. For some reason, this is a magical two hours, first and third Sunday. Your truth meant more to me than I can possibly tell you. Um, my my experience with abstinence was I'm 73, so 53 years of not being abstinent. My experience with abstinence was a little bit shorter than yours, but it was magical for me. It was the possibility for me. It was the knowledge that life could be totally different. And now that's gone. And um, I keep coming back as well. But you are brave. You are beautiful. You are a survivor. You are a witness for us all of the possibilities of life. And I know that whatever your higher power is loves you unconditionally and I just feel so much love pouring out of my heart and I took your phone number and I just thank you thank you thank you thank you I'm done thanks Diane Emily hi um my name is Emily I'm a food addict is it possible to turn on my video um I'll I'll go ahead and um open that pause that up Thank you. The reason um, I really want to um, open my video, Bianca, thank you so much, um, is because I look different than my picture does. My picture is from four months ago, five months ago. And um, I had had 11 and a half years of abstinence. And um, like you for years and years, um, there we go. Hi. Um, like you for years and years, I um, had have had severe GI conditions. Um, but I was always able with prescriptions with different things to, um, it wasn't pleasant, but to be on, um, a regular, a very 
a beautiful food plan that was, I'm somebody that really needs to weigh and measure, um, have very balanced. It's given to me. I commit it, blah, blah, blah. We all need different things. And, um, I went, I've been through a lot of trauma, um, lost my mom, who was my best friend much earlier than thought my own chronic health conditions, my dad losing it mentally, get, getting him through several surgeries to try to keep him out of a wheelchair, my sister, my only sibling, then getting cancer right after my mom died. And um, my husband being out of work for seven months and keeps going through all these interviews and being told he's overqualified. So as far as I've had much, much worse internal turmoil, like um, when I was a child, also came from um, a very abusive household, um, suicidal, um, literally um, tried, tried to kill myself, not as a cry for help, but tried to end things by 13. Um, and um, as the previous speaker said, so many years of freedom and those 11, I've been in programs since 2003, had three years of abstinence, six years of relapse where I was abstinent with the exception of a six month period, much later into the time. Um, I was abstinent in the day, but I was eating in my sleep. I was getting up several times a night to eat and um, found a very rigorous way of working the program in 2012 that kind of saved my life, that my sponsor left that seven years later. And for the past four years, I just discovered this kind of neutrality with food and this like ability to live my life. I'm 51 now, but I just, it's like, I felt younger than I'd ever had. And then this summer, it was like, finally, so, so I couldn't eat my, I couldn't digest anything except carb-based foods. So I stayed off my binge foods, but it was very carb-based and I had to eat, take the dragon out of, and eat very small portions, like 12 times a day. So this whole, the whole 10 step, like I just lost the 10 step promises and I didn't realize that that was the danger. I kept crying to my sponsors and my dietitian about the fact that I was gaining weight. You know, when I was put, when we we're talking about, about five pounds at that point, now it's 30 pounds. Um, and so I am, uh, I'm on a now extremely different food plan because they know what I have a lot of medical conditions and um, so I'm on a food plan to get, they know there's all this water trapped in my body and my joints and et cetera. And it's very difficult. And I get a lot of nausea and this food plan is almost impossible to follow. And I have nausea. So I'm having a day to day. I have a number of um, like, I have my one food sponsor, but I have other people who are my daily like people who I can call throughout the day. So like to say like, okay, I don't know what to eat today. And so I'm on day four, I think day five, but I'm, I've kind of had this new spiritual awakening of this moment for this moment. I am abstinent and I am got to stop the future tripping about when the weight is going to come back off. And also thank you for showing me your pictures because I needed to remember when I couldn't fit in a plane. You know, I, I came in at 239 pounds when I like, you know, when I felt bad for the people sitting next to me on a plane or at the movie theater or whatever, because I was like pushing over, you know, when I couldn't, I'm a director, I am in, in the theater and I now teach in a school and I couldn't fit in the seats in the auditorium at that time. Um, so thank you. I'm so grateful that you were willing to speak and to be so candid and so honest. And I'm really looking forward to hearing from others who, um, you know, we're all trudging this path. Thank you. Audrey. 
Hi, everybody. I'm an impulsive, compulsive overeating sugar addict. My name is Audrey. Um, I'm going to speak and then I'm going to share a comment and uh, ask a question that I received in chat. Um, Bianca, first of all, thank you so much for citing the serenity prayer in your mother tongue. Um, it was incredibly beautiful. I don't know a word of German, but I do know you were saying the serenity prayer. And the other thing I wanted to say is thank you so much for your honesty. Um, I'm coming out of another relapse again, and I kept my mouth shut about it for weeks. And um, I'm a liar and I'm deceitful and uh, this recent relapse I've had is, um, it's just, when I relapse, I know I can fall into that deep, dark, black, wide open hole. And um, I didn't wanna get out of it this time. And this morning I woke up with energy and um, and I felt rested. And it's because I had an abstinent day yesterday. And it's just one day at a time. Um, here is the comment followed by a question from someone in chat. Bianca, you've been through hell on earth and yet you're brave. Only a brave person could speak up about being in relapse. Only a brave person could share such horrors from her life and still share hope. My question is basic. What if you don't get a pink cloud abstinence again and just need to white knuckle it as you work through the steps? You know you're brave enough, right? What if not? I'm not even going there in my thoughts because today I know that God is with me. I did not know that before OA, that God would listen to me because who am I? I'm unlovable. I'm worthless. I'm nothing. I'm less than dirt on someone's shoes. That's what I thought. But today I know this is not true. God is here for me. God even cares what I eat. So... I don't think I don't think there is another day of white knuckling because I have no strength to white knuckle. I don't I, I, because I'm a weak person. I, I fall into the food traps every single day right now. I'm weak. I cannot white knuckle. I cannot talk myself into one day of abstinence. I know God will give me a day of abstinence. Why not today or yesterday? I don't know. I guess there is a lesson for me to be learned here. And maybe, maybe once I'm in abstinence again, I will know what that lesson was. I don't know today and I'm not questioning it. This is who I am today. Thanks, Bianca. Um, I just want to commend you, your courage and your willingness to be honest and to speak out. Um, and I, I guess I could say that perhaps your higher power had that 
uh, bypass surgery in mind when you got that ultrasound because your kidney cancer wouldn't might not have been discovered um, as soon as it was and I guess my question for you is um, how has your high, uh, relationship or your concept of your higher power changed over your time here? Thank you for that question. Um, in regards to the first comment, yes, I think the gastric bypass was just leading me to that diagnosis and it was God who brought me to the gastric bypass and all the background educational classes I had to take and then to OA. My higher power, when I, was, when I was a little child, I was going to children's church. And in the evenings, I prayed to little Jesus to bring my mommy and daddy back. And little Jesus did not bring me mommy and daddy back. So I stayed away from God for a long time because I thought, today I'm so glad <laughs> it was the biggest gift to keep my mom and my dad away from me because if they would have come back into my life, I would not be alive today. So God was with me all along. It was just that I didn't see it. It was hiding in the terms that my life took, the course I took, the paths I walked. God was there all along. What changed for me in regards to my higher power, how I see it today is, I was spiritual before I came to OA and I believed in a non-Christian God. I'm not religious, I'm not Christian, but I believe in God. As the universal life force, the energy that makes a seed grow into a tree. But what I know today in since OA is that God also cares about my physical body, that I'm healthy, that I'm strong, what I eat, the kind of foods I eat. And this is new to me. I did not know that God would care about my food. God was in my life, but not in my kitchen and not on my dining room table. That's what changed for me. Thank you, Janice. Thank you, Bianca. And Marie Ann. Hi, um, Marie and compulsive overeater. I don't really have a question. Um, I just really want wanted to say thank you um, to Bianca um, purely because this this has been the worst Christmas period that I've had and I've been in OE now for 14, uh, 13 months and I've never got it. I'm really, I've really struggled with it. But the last um, week and it was actually when Audrey said what she said, I just I really had to try and contain myself from not crying. I'm also a liar. I've been so deceitful and it's been my whole entire life. I've hurt people. I've been horrible. I've done all sorts of things. And it wasn't until my husband started in AA that I started picking up on all these little things and learning more about me. But this week, I finally got myself a sponsor. And today we started the steps and a lot of big realizations have come forward and my higher power is definitely kicking about because the woman that responded to my WhatsApp message happens to be from one of my hometowns and 
she um, joined that group five minutes before I actually asked for a sponsor. And I kind of feel like she's been sent to me, um, which in my head sounds absolutely crazy sometimes, you know. And I say that to people who don't get this, like my mother. She just looks at me with my eyebrows go up as if to say, what are you talking about? She just doesn't get it. But um, yeah, I went to, because um, obviously it's 10 o'clock at night here, and I went to an AA meeting with my husband tonight. And what they spoke about is exactly what I spoke about this morning. You know, it's all about having a, an allergy. And uh, yeah, I, just, I heard so much tonight that I just kind of felt that I had to come home and come on a meeting. And this was the first meeting that I found. Um, so I'm really grateful because, you know, I wouldn't have heard your story and you know, what you've been through and how you're, you know, how you've coped is amazing. And, you know, I just, uh, yeah, I literally, I'm, I'm in awe because I just don't know how some people can do it. And I suppose when it comes to a point where I've got to tell my story, you know, I might not realise how big things have been. But when you mentioned the gastric surgery, um, I've had the gastric sleeve. I went to Turkey because I couldn't have it here. I had to go through a big, massive hoo-ha with classes. And, you know, and I actually went to see the surgeon after, ready to go. And I was one pound away and he refused. So... I was really upset, as you can imagine. I mean, I was only 27, I think, at the time. And I said to him, don't bother, I'll do it myself. And his words to me were, good luck, you'll need it. And I just, you know, and that played on my mind for many, many years. And um, yeah, I've had it done now. I have lost a lot of weight because I was over 300 pounds, but it doesn't solve anything up here. So what you said was spot on. It really doesn't. And I didn't have all the psychological help and, you know, all of that jazz. I didn't have any of that. None at all. So that's one of probably one of the reasons why I started away, because I'd never heard of this. So, you know, it's just um it's just really good. Just really good to be here. So thank you so much for your share. I really appreciated it. And if I start crying, like don't don't worry. Things are just hitting, so don't panic. So yeah, just it's lovely to meet all of you. So thank you. Helena, um, it's almost time for a break, but go ahead and ask your question. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm Helena, composer of Aita. Um, I also don't have a question. I just really wanted to say thank you. It was an amazing. Share. Thank you for your honesty and your humility. Your humility, your bravery. It's really, really nice to hear your story. Um, could identify with a lot. I'm already in German too, um, and I'm in relapse too, and I cannot white, uh, white knuckle it too. So thank you so much for your share. It was really, really um good to hear from you today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Helena. Um, and we're going to have a five-minute break, uh, so I'll set the timer for that. Then we're going to come back, and Chelsea will be sharing her story story for about fifteen minutes, and then I mean fifty five zero, and then we'll have about fifteen minutes of questions and sharing after that. 
So we'll see you back in about five minutes. And hope for about 50 minutes, and then we'll have questions and sharing after that. So uh, go ahead, Chelsea, I think you, yeah. Hi everyone, I'm Chelsea. Uh, can I be heard okay? Yeah, great. Uh, I am a compulsive eater and body obsessor. I'm just gonna start my share with the 11 step prayer. Um, I find it a great way to center myself and um, ask higher power to speak. So, Lord, make me a channel of thy peace, that where there is hatred, I may bring love, that where there is wrong, I may bring the spirit of forgiveness, that where there is discord, I may bring harmony, that where there is error, I may bring truth, that where there is doubt, I may bring faith, that where there is despair, I may bring hope, that where there are shadows, I may bring light, that where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Lord, grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood, and to love than to be loved. For it is by self-forgetting that one finds, it is by forgiving that one is forgiven, and it is by dying that one awakens to return. Thank you everyone for being here. Um, and thank you to the organizers for making this happen. It's so great. Um, I, I, I do find coming up to speaking things and then I get all nervous. And so I had a really great friend in OA tell me, well, it's okay. We just share what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. And um, that really helps because um, nobody is an expert in my story except me. So I can tell you exactly what it's like for me. Um, so I'll start with what it was like. Um, I, I always had a, oh goodness, I did not need to look at myself like that. Um, <laughs> um, I always had a healthy appetite, my mother would say. Um, I just loved food. I grew up with two older brothers. Um, they were, and not just a little bit older, they were nine and 11 years older than I am. Um, and so they were teenagers when I was, you know, like four to seven. Um, and they would just pile back the food and I wanted to keep up with my big brothers. So I would pile back the food and you know I come by a healthy appetite honestly everybody in my family has one um did not come by the same metabolism apparently as other people in my family um and so I ate the first time I remember thinking that I was somehow different in my weight from other people um in kindergarten we had this assignment where we had to bring in our snowsuits and we would get weighed with our snowsuits on and then weighed without our snowsuits on, just our plate clothes on, um, to see how much our snowsuits weighed. And when I stepped on the scale, there was the teacher and she had a helper and they looked at each other and they were like, could that be right? And they're like, I don't know, that seems like an awful lot. 
And I remember standing there as a kid and looking between these two people who I trusted so much and them seeming so baffled and me thinking, oh no, there's something wrong with me. And I didn't know what to do. Um, I didn't, didn't fit in in elementary school. I was, I loved learning. I was very eager to learn. I liked being at school. I liked doing the school work and I got made fun of a lot for that. Um, and then on top of that, I was always the chubby kid. Um, the next time I remember being in school and remember something um, being said, I think I was like seven or eight, so like grade two, grade three, um, and these quote unquote big kids, so probably grade six or grade seven, uh, called me fat. So as I was walking across the playground, and I remember feeling really ashamed. Um, I don't know. There's, it's just a very brief memory, so I don't know where that went. Um, but I know that those memories of feeling different and ashamed just got more frequent as the years went on. Um, I danced growing up a lot. I did ballet, tap, jazz, modern. I loved dancing. My goal was to be a prima ballerina on, on point. Um, I remember sitting in my first ballet class when I was four and I saw this picture of this ballerina on point and that's what I wanted to be more than anything. And, um, and I loved it and I wasn't super great at it, but I loved it. And I, um, I, it was grade four, grade five, something like that. I got to the point where the next step was to one point and I was all excited and they said that I couldn't go. They were uh, worried about my weight, which is uh, my weight at that point is what my current weight is now. Um, and they really don't think that there is an issue. But my, my mom was also worried. Um, the way that she displayed her worry was to try and control my feet um, very, very closely. And it made me rebel against it. And I just tried to eat. And um, she put me on my first commercial weigh and pay diet when I was 11. Um, I lost about 15 pounds uh, on that. And then I plateaued. And um, at one point she looked at me and she said, God, just not going to get rid of that gut, are you? And I don't think she meant anything by it. I, but that stuck with me. And I was like, okay, I'm not getting rid of this gut. Um, if you, you look at my, my dad, he's got like very skinny, uh, not skinny, but like healthy arms and legs, and um, he's got a little bit of a pop 
belly and I definitely got his genetics. So I had a little bit of extra around my waist. Um, and whereas my mom's family, uh, very slender. I did not get those genetics. Um, and so at 11, I remember because I was on this diet bar. One Friday, we were having a movie watching thing at school, and you got to bring in a treat uh, to have, like popcorn or whatever you wanted, chips, whatever. Um, and I argued with my mom because she wanted me to bring in rice cakes and I wanted to bring in chips like everybody else. And um, so I brought in rice cakes and I wasn't happy about it, but I brought them. Um, and then somebody had brought in like this massive bag of pretzels and they offered me some. And I was like, oh, well, I have to look at the calories first at 11. Um, and the crazy thing is, is I don't even like pretzels. I think they're gross. Um, but I wanted them because everybody else had them and because I couldn't have them. And so they became like this, this thing that I desired in that moment. And, um, they seemed to be like not too bad on calories. So I like took a couple um, and I, that was my whole elementary school was my mom being worried about my weight, me feeling ashamed because I felt different um, and not being able to change that. And yet at the same time being like a pretty happy kid. I like, I was happy to go to dance and I was happy. I did all of the sports. I, I swam, I like, I wasn't good at anything. I was a slow kid. I, I still am. I don't do well at sports, but I love doing them. Um, I, you know, I, I, I loved softball. Couldn't throw a softball very far to save my life. I I hated soccer, um, but I loved swimming. I wasn't fast, but I loved it. Um, I just loved jumping around in the pool and doing handstands. And um, I loved dancing, just like turning music on and dancing. I didn't have to be good at it. I just liked it. Um, and... I don't know where everybody's listening from, but in Canada, at least where I'm from in Canada, um, I had elementary school, which was kindergarten to grade seven. And then I went to high school, which was grade eight to grade 12. Um, and in grade eight, everything stopped being for fun and everything start, started being competitive. Um, and I wasn't good at anything. Um, and so I stopped everything. I stopped softball, I stopped swimming, I stopped, um, what was I doing? Tennis, uh, volleyball, basketball. I tried everything in elementary school because I loved it all. I stopped dance, uh, which I was doing like 28 hours a week, I think. Um, and I still really loved food. And so the weight started piling on. 
uh, in grade eight, I hit 200 pounds. Um, my mom put me on a trial for um, a medication to see if it would work in adolescence. It was supposed to block fat absorption so that if you ate too much, like, bad food then you would get diarrhea um didn't work I just didn't take the pills um by grade nine I was up to 100 or sorry 260 pounds um so I gained 60 pounds that year um tried we watched oh sorry we tried to pay him away again um that didn't work obviously um I think in grade 10, I was up to about 280. Uh, there was a popular low carb diet at that point that I tried. All of these things would work for, you know, 10, 15 pounds. And then I got fed up and I told my mom that I was done and she needed to stop telling me that I needed to lose weight. And I don't know why, but she listened. <laughs> Uh, and thank goodness she did. Um, but, and shockingly, when she listened, I went from about 285 to like maybe 290 in grade 12. Like that was the least amount of weight gain that I'd had of any year because nobody was bugging me about my weight. Um, and then in grade 12, I decided I wanted to do something about it because I wanted to be different. Um, so, uh, and my brother had just quit smoking and he had, uh, gained some weight after he quit smoking. So, uh, him and I together decided we wanted to try this pain way again. And it worked a lot better when it was of my own doing. Um, but I still couldn't do it for very long. I think I lost about 20 pounds. Um, and then graduation happened and everybody was celebrating and eating, whatever goodies were around and um and I just wanted to do that so I did and I gained it all back um my highest weight came in the first year of college I was over 300 pounds um I was I went into business because I thought that's what I should do um my mom's an accountant I thought that's just what I was destined to do um, didn't like it at all. Um, and I met somebody in college who one day we were sitting eating lunch and they were like, oh yeah, we like have these meetings we go to on, I think it was a Wednesday night. And they're like, oh, if you ever wanted to come, like you're more than welcome. Um, it was the pay and way again. And I was like, oh yeah. Yeah, I've tried that in the past. I, this doesn't work for me. I'm not interested. And they're like, well, you know, think about it. And they were just so like upfront about it. And I, it was weird. Nobody had ever been so direct with me about my weight before. Everybody had always pussyfooted around it. And I hated it. I always felt awkward. And so I went home and I was like, well, I guess maybe I could give it a try. And so I went that night and I actually was able to stay on it for about a year. Um, I lost about 90 pounds. Um, so I got down into the low 200s. Uh, looking back now, I can see that all I was doing was 
binging within the confines of the program. I would eat as little as possible until about 6 p.m. and then I would eat all the rest that I could eat. Um, but I lost the weight and I thought that's what it was all about. Until I got a call one day from my brother. Uh, him and his wife had been expecting their first baby. Um, my sister-in-law was due in two weeks and they lost the baby. Um, it was what they call a cord incident. So it means basically the baby fell asleep on the umbilical cord and uh, deprived itself of oxygen. Um, it's a hard day. And I had no coping mechanisms. I had coped my whole life by eating more food. And now I was on this pay and way that I couldn't eat food and I couldn't maintain it. And so I started eating again. And um, I was doing this program that I hated. And one day I was crying in my room because I was doing some assignment and I was telling my mom how much I hated this program. And uh, my brother and his wife lived in the basement suite and she was like, stop it, they're gonna hear you because they were allowed to have their emotions about it, but I wasn't allowed to have my emotions about it. And so I ate and I ate and I ate and I ate myself back up to in the 80s. Um, and I continued in this program that I hated, uh, this business program. And then about a year later, year, year and a little bit later, uh, my brother and his wife had a healthy baby girl who we still have with us, thank God. Um, she is now a pain in the ass teenager, but I love her. <laughs> to no end um and she came and i went to the hospital to see her and my brother said to me he was like you know through all the bad and through all the good the nurses have been the most amazing people and we couldn't imagine not having them and getting through this without them and i was like well I, I'm going to be a nurse. I'm going to be a nurse and I'm going to help people deliver their babies. And I'm going to be there for the worst days of their lives. And I'm going to be there for the best days of their lives. And so I set my heart on that. And had a fight with my mom. Shocking. She thought I should be in business. I said I didn't want to and that I told her and she said I hadn't. And I switched programs and I went into nursing school. Um, nursing school is where always came into my life. Um, over, I guess, from the time I was 19 until about 25, I dieted up and down. Um, you know, those 90 pounds a few times. In um, second year nursing school, 
we had this like stupid fluff assignment honestly where you had to like draw a picture or do something of your like represent somehow how you were feeling and so I drew a picture and the picture was of me sitting on the couch in by myself eating and crying because I couldn't stop eating and I didn't know why and we had to share it with our group and somebody um in my group listened didn't say anything and then was like hey um do you wanna like come with me and I was like oh yeah sure like that sounds like you're in class I go to this program and she 12 step me uh, and um my first meeting was on a Monday night and I got to the parking lot and I texted her and I was like, yeah, I can't do it. I can't come in. And she came up to my car and she got me and she brought me in the rooms. Somebody in this room was in that room with me that night um, and has been in the rooms ever since. And um, I sat in that meeting and somebody who, uh, is still in OA and who I know um, sat and was like, oh, I, I know that I just can never eat chocolate again in my life. And I was like, uh, no, 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 this is not happening. I can't do it. No, no. Um, I can't live without chocolate. And um, so on the way home, I stopped and got some binge food and I binged and um. I dabbled in and out of OA for know, six months, uh, binging after every meeting. And um, thought that I was the exception and I was totally abnormal. And then I found out that that's actually really common, that we come in and then we start to find out what's going on and we cope the way that we've learned to cope with food. And, um, And I was like, well, you know, this, I got, I got this, I got a temporary sponsor. I thought about her for the first time yes, yesterday, the day before. I hadn't thought about her 13 years. And I remember I was sending her my food and it wasn't very long. And I don't remember her name and I wish I did because she was so lovely. And one day I sent her my food and I said, I know it's crap. And the thing is, is that I ate breakfast and I went out and had lunch with friends. And then, you know, we were out all day and then we had dinner together. And then I came home and I went to bed and I sent her this food and I'd eaten three times that day and nothing in between. And I think I probably had like a burger at the restaurant and like, you know, I don't know what I had, but like, it wasn't like quote unquote perfect eating, but I had only eaten three times that day. And she was like, hmm, actually doesn't look that bad to me. And I was like, what? She doesn't know what she's talking about. It's curious because 301 is actually a valid meal plan, food plan. Um, but I was very perfectionistic. And that's not what I thought it should be, especially. And, you know, I knew I could write a book about dieting. I had done it all. Um, so 
I um went out. Um and I dabbled back and forth in a way for a while. Um I got referred to a psychiatrist who um specialized in eating disorders and I um did um uh, outside work with her a lot. Uh a damn psychiatrist, her answer to everything was I bet OA would help with that. So I found myself in OA again. Um and there was this program. It was outside help and they would help you get abstinent. And um I was like, yeah, I should do that because honestly, it's my last stop. Um, I've got, there's nothing else. So I went, it was a five day sort of like inpatient-ish type treatment. They got you off sugar and flour. Um, they helped you work the first step. Um, make sure you got set up with a sponsor and gave you lots of contacts um, for people who are in program. It was great. I went in on Valentine's Day of 2017. I remember because I joked, I was like, oh, I'm doing this because I love myself. Um, and it worked really well for two years. It worked until it didn't. I never left the rooms. Um, I worked so many sets of steps. I worked steps like my hair was on fire when speaker said because I needed the relief. Uh, my first step four, I gave myself a month to do it. And after two weeks, I was like, nope, I need to do my step five. My sponsor was like, oh, okay, sure, let's do it. Um, and I did my step five and I got so much relief uh, until my world got too big and my higher power my definition of a higher power didn't keep up. And I lost my abstinence in the rooms. And uh, I had lost, I had gone to um, about the same, of like 200-ish. Um, and I gained about 90 pounds back that relapse. Um, That relapse is what brought me to my current abstinence and my current life. Um, I um, I relapsed for almost exactly a year. Um, I lost my abstinence on my nephew's birthday, which was February nineteenth. Um, and I got my abstinence back on February. 13th um to 2020 uh just before COVID started and um in that year my sponsor dropped me um and I had another sponsor who because of life circumstances had to drop me and I did a lot of things that I never ever would have done before um, we had a speaker come to Vancouver and do a big book workshop for us. And I wasn't able to go to the workshop because I was in my disease. 
but I was able uh, to listen to the workshop. So um, I listened and I listened and I was like, that, that is the recovery that I want. And I knew somebody else in the rooms who this speaker was their sponsor. And I was like, ah, oh, like, that's the person I want to sponsor me. And, um, and I was like, but it's so weird just like randomly reaching out and being like, would you be my sponsor? And I was like, but I don't have a sponsor and this is the person that I want. So I reached out and they said yes. And I was, I was like, oh, okay. And she wanted me to share my food no matter what it was. So I did. And my abstinence started really slow. And it's not what it is now. My abstinence started just having to eat protein with every time I ate. And then it was, okay, now maybe we should probably eat like a fruit or vegetable every time we eat as well. And it just slowly built up from there. And my abstinence is now nowhere near what it was um, almost four years ago. Um, my hardline abstinence is the definition that OA provides um, to refrain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors while working towards or maintaining a healthy body weight. Um, I got a lot of freedom from food. I got a lot of neutrality, um, but I didn't get the physical recovery that I needed. Um, I had to get some outside help and um, I had I had to get bariatric surgery. Um, I needed that because I just was like legitimately hungry a lot. Um, and I got it and I lost a bunch of weight. And the thing is, is that it's just a tool and it doesn't fix your brain. And if I had gotten that outside of the rooms, I'm positive I would have eaten through it at this point. Um, but because of the rooms and the 12 steps, I um, I lost what that helped me lose. And then it helped me find other tools to help me get even closer towards a healthy body weight. Um, I, uh, OA doesn't have an official position on bariatric surgery. Um, my share is my opinion and my experience. Um, I would go back and do it again if I had to. Um, if anybody tells you that it's the easy way out, politely go and tell them to go to hell. Um, it is not the easy way out by any means. Um, the six months after my surgery was living hell. I couldn't keep anything down. Um, I was eating so few calories that I literally couldn't function. Um, I just slept on the couch the whole time because I, when you eat 400 calories a day, you can't do anything. Um, that's not enough to support your brain function. Um, and so I... I kept going though, and I had a lot of help with my, my from my sponsor, and she uh, she kept me going, and we found a food plan that worked based on what I could eat, 
and through that experience, I learned that even with abstinence and working the 12 steps, that doesn't take away life. Things are always, there's always going to be things that come up. There's always going to be hard things. Um, and that's okay. Um, and, you know, we might not be perfect through those things, but we can get through them with help. Um, you know, they always say the first step of the program, the first word of the program is we. We admitted we were powerless over food because not meant to do this alone. Um, we have to have our higher power to do this. And we, I, I have to have other people um, to encourage me and who I can encourage. Um, I'm sort of dabbling in what it was like and what happened and what like now. Um, so I'll go to what happened. So for me to recover, I have to work the 12 steps. Um, I have to have a connection with the sponsor because I need to be accountable to somebody. I have to have a higher power that works for me. Um, I My higher power has changed. When I first started, uh, anybody who knows me knows how much I love animals. When I first started, my higher power was a lion, sort of like Aslan in uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe of Narnia. Um, and that worked for a long time, but then it stopped working. Um, now my higher power is more along the lines of what the big book says. So um, like a creative intelligence, uh, spirit of the universe, um, love um, is what my sponsor calls it. Um, and that works, that works much better for me. Um, I, I definitely work the steps. Um, I use the tools, I have a food plan. Um, my hard line is no binging. Um, I don't diet either um, because that just sets me up to go the other way. I like to pendulum swing. Um, I, um, have overeaten during my abstinence, but I haven't binged. Um, people ask me, they're like, well, how do you really know the difference? And the thing is, is that there's actually a really big difference. Um, the R12 and 12 tells us that even normal eaters occasionally overindulge in food, and they do because something tastes good or, you know, they eat a few too many bites or whatever. Um, my binging looks completely different than that. Um, my binging looks like me on the way home from work, uh, stopping at a grocery store and picking up $50 worth of chips and cookies and ice cream, going home and making sure that I can sit on the couch alone um and then he'll interrupt me and um then the next day having to do the same 
thing, but having to go to a different grocery store because the cashier at the first grocery store might know that, that I did. Um, and doing the same thing over and over and over again. Um, whereas overeating, I might take a couple extra bites that I maybe didn't need, um, but it's not compulsive. It's not obsessive, um, like a binge. Um, a binge for me is very uh, ritualistic. Um, um sorry i am hotel room and my mom's at the pool and she came back to get her lunch um so i was distracted there for a second um what it's like now i have a life beyond my wildest dreams i got into a master's program I uh, can't believe I'm like seven months from finishing it. I feel like yesterday I felt like I was never going to get in. Um, but now I'm like a year and a half in. Um, I am happy. I got the outside help I needed to help with my mental health. Um, I have a home that is safe. And I, I live on my own with my animals, um, whom I love to death, um, probably. Um, I, um, I'm currently on vacation in Hawaii and uh, bathing suits are not a problem. Um, and I'm not perfect. I really want to stress that. I still have obsessions about my body. I still compare myself to other people. I still have times when I think about food. And all of those things are a lot less the more I work my program. Um, with my master's, I haven't been working as strong of a program as I would like to. So um, I have had a few more struggles in the last year and a half than I uh, would have liked um, because I just haven't had time to work as strong of a program as I usually do. Um, but I'm in between semesters right now. My new semester starts tomorrow. Um, so I've had a little bit more time to do some recovery stuff uh, on my time off. And so I'm feeling a little bit better right now. Um, and it's, it's not, it's not easy, but it's simple that I have the directions. They're in the big book. I can follow them if I want to get better. Um, I, I just have to do it because this is a program of action, not a program of thinking. Um, What else? Sorry, I will, I wrote down a couple of things that I wanted to say. So, um, some things that I want you to get from my story. Um, I think I'm at about forty five minutes. 
um, about 45 minutes. So I have about five minutes left. So some things that I would like you to get from my story. One, relapse is normal. It is a very normal part of this program. Um, that's not to say that's where we want to sit. Um, obviously, that's my goal isn't to relapse. But um, if you have relapsed, if you are in relapse, don't leave the room. The miracle will happen. I promise you. I relapsed in the rooms and I also got better in the rooms. And I got abstinent in the rooms. Um, I, my personal opinion, and remember this whole share is just my opinion. My personal opinion is that compulsive food behaviors are the hardest addiction, 100%. It's not cigarettes, it's not alcohol, it's not drugs. We can't do without food. You have to have food to live. And learning to moderate is the hardest thing. It would be I the number of times that I've said to God, why can't I just stop eating? Why can't you just let me survive without food? Because it would be so much easier if I could just not have to deal with it. I believe that this is the hardest program. Um, I know people will disagree with me on that, but I'll, I'll take that. We can agree to disagree. Um, When I, I know that things are getting bad when I start isolating, um, I, my disease lives in isolation. Um, when I told you about a binge, it was me sitting on the couch by myself. It wasn't me with friends out partying. Um, it's very much in isolation. Um, one way to get myself out of isolation um, is service. So like hosting a meeting or, um, I'm still pre-COVID times, setting up chairs <laughs> at a meeting, um, you know, uh, being secretary forces you to talk to people. Um, there are tiny things, just showing up to meetings, honestly, is service because newcomers need people to be sitting in these, in these seats so that they, so that somebody can answer their questions and they can know that there's experience, strength, and hope. Um, Service got me a really long way in a lot of times of struggle. Um, the steps are very important. Tools are great and they're just tools. So just like my toolbox that has my hammer and my drill and my um, staple gun or whatever it has in it, I don't use all of the tools in every situation. Um, because if I took a hammer and tried to screw a nail or a screw a, a screw into a wall it wouldn't work right so um it's okay that you don't use all tools 24 7 um in my mind um my sponsors like all of them that i've had in the past um it and it's not don't put them on a pedestal. They're not God. Um, it's just that it's really helpful to have somebody outside of yourself that can listen and say, mm, what about this? And give you a little bit of perspective. And maybe share some experience, strength, and hope that they have. So I think, I think I'm at time. <laughs>
and um, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. I feel like I was a little discombobulated at the end there, but thank you for letting me share and inviting me to share. Thank you, Chelsea. Uh, so this is the time <clears throat> to ask questions or make brief pitches. Uh, we have about 15 minutes, I think. And if you'd like to ask a question or share, please raise your hand and we will unmute you. And um, I see Audrey's hand, so go ahead. Hi everyone, I'm an impulsive compulsive overeating sugar addict. My name is Audrey. I am so grateful and so fortunate to have witnessed Chelsea's journey. Chelsea, you are an example of what walking in the spirit look, walking in the sunlight of the spirit looks like. I am incredibly grateful to, for you, to you for keeping coming back and for your recovery. I am so proud of you for so many reasons. Keep shining, dear friend. I love you. Aloha. Thanks, Andre. Go ahead, Bianca. Hello, Bianca, still compulsive overeater. Uh, thank you, Chelsea, for your share. Um, I, I have a question. Going to nursing school places you into the medical field. And I would like to know, well, I don't know what's the, what's the exact question, but it must be hard to be surrounded maybe by medical professionals who might think that food addiction is not real. So have you experienced this? Oh goodness, I try not to go on this soapbox. Um, but yes, 100%. Um, having been over 300 pounds in the medical field and having been a quote unquote normal weight in the medical field, I have heard people speak about people who are overweight and obese in all sorts of terms that are less than flattering. Um, and in some cases have had to bite my tongue because um, right now I'm a student, so it's uh, not appropriate for me to spout off at them. But, um, <laughs> but yes, um, there is lots of fat phobia in the medical field and it is a challenge. And um, what I can do is I can live through example. Um, when people ask me what I've done to lose weight, I'm very open with them that this is not just physical, um, it's, it's not just a physical ailment, so to speak. It is a, well, it's, as our program says, it's three-sided, right? So it's physical, spiritual, and I always forget if the last one's emotional or mental. Um, and so, yes, I have. And um, oh, I could go on about this for a long time because it may, it, it actually boils my blood um, with how close-minded people are. Um, the amount of times I've heard um, just eat less and exercise more. I, I, uh, I'd be a millionaire right now. Um, 
I would encourage everybody who has concerns about compulsive eating to give themselves grace and to know that those people don't know what we know. Um, and that thing, we are gaining the knowledge and there is a definition for us in the DSM-5. Um, and so things are turning around, but it's gonna be slow and it's gonna be hard. And um, I've had to be my own biggest advocate. And um, one of my goals in getting my master's is to become an advocate for people who struggle with eating and their weight. And um, so it is coming. Um, and yeah, if anybody wants to talk more, I'm happy to talk more, um, but I just don't want to take up a ton of time because I honestly could get on a soapbox and, and rant for hours about, about it. So just be an advocate for yourself. Um, and if you need help being an advocate for yourself, please, please call me. I'm happy to tell you ways that you can do that without ruffling too many others. Thanks, Chelsea. Uh, so um, I don't really have any questions, but I just want to commend you for your uh, for your willingness and your and your uh, honesty and um, I, I am also a health professional, I'm retired, but I kind of think that getting into this program is what gave you the courage to change, um, change professions and, you know, listening to your heart. And, uh, you know, I'm just glad you shared S. I meant to, to add that this meeting is being recorded. So if someone doesn't want their voice on the recording, they can send questions to one of the co-hosts and we will read that question for you. And I've, I'm going to open it up for personal shares. We've got time for that. So if anybody has sharing or uh, things they would like to say, please go ahead, raise your hand, and I'll un we'll unmute. Okie dokie. Thank you, Bianca and Chelsea, for being our speakers today. It was wonderful to have you with us. And we appreciate you sharing your experience, strength, and hope while giving service to the OA program. Together we get better. A reminder that the opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. Please remember to honor our commitment to each other's 
anonymity, take the stories, but leave the names behind. OA Rise's goal is twofold, to provide speaker meetings twice a month and to maintain a website to store those recordings of our speakers for both you and for the OA Fellowship. Please give what you can to keep OA Rise going. Um, I, Cassie, can you post the Seventh Tradition contribution one more time in the chat? And OA Rise needs members to give service to this meeting. It's a very simple commitment that includes attending one business meeting per month and one speaker meeting per month. No Zoom experience is necessary. I can attest to that. Please send a message to one of the co-hosts if you're willing to give service. Additional, additionally, we're always looking for speakers and speaker suggestions. Thank you everyone for being with us today. After we close the meeting, we will open up the chat for a short period of time and can, you can unmute yourself yourselves if you'd like to connect with others. Please join us for a wonderful, another wonderful share of experience, strength, and hope at our next speaker meeting, which will be, well, it's the third Sunday. So that'll be January 21st. Uh, get back to my spot. I don't have this printed. Um, and I believe the topic will be announced. Um, it has not been decided yet, and the speakers also. Um, let's see, getting there. Um, after a moment of silence, we will uh, close with the we version of the Serenity Prayer. Um, and um, Bianca, do you want to speak it aloud? And I'll invite those of you who wish to to join me silently. Sure. Let's take a moment of silence. Just a deep breath. God, please grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen.